feed our kids before the service, right? Um, but it was neat. It was uh, uh, Jenna. I had her at basketball practice Friday night. Um, and as she was getting into her dad's car, she said to me, she says, I will never forget Wednesday night. And I kind of thought about that as I got my car and pulled away. And this nine-year-old girl just said this thing to me. And I started thinking about how many of us have forgotten our Wednesday night. Uh, The moment we made that life decision to trust God, the moment we invited him into our hearts, the moment we allowed his love to so captivate us that we became undone and allowed the Holy Spirit into our lives to begin his work. We forget as Christ followers and our journey with God becomes this been there, done that, you know, this kind of journey that way. We're no longer moved by worship. We're no longer challenged to change. For me, I remember, uh, for, for me when it was, it was as a kid at Big Prairie Camp, sixth grade. I know that's when the idea of God started to really take root and become real to me. I also remember as a junior in high school where um, making a decision to really get serious about it. See, God was in my heart at that time, but uh, there were some walls that I'd built up and I'd kept him from moving around. And I remember making a decision in that point to allow him to move freely And I know that there was uh, still some walls that get rebuilt here and there. And and, and the Holy Spirit continues to dismantle those walls all the time. But it's a process. It's It's a journey. But what about you? Do you remember your Wednesday night? Uh, at Mary Life small group um, this last Sunday, we had a chance to share. We went around. It was our first time getting to know some people. And so we, we shared uh, this question. We said, when did you know you were in love with your spouse? And I remember Tim, just Tim, this guy named Tim, um, he said, what well, stays in small group, stays in small group, right? Um, he said that I knew I loved my wife when she told me I did, right? And so it was kind of funny at that moment. But, uh, but, but what I want to ask you is, and I want to put some of you on the spot right here. Do you remember the time you fell in love with God? That, that moment, that moment when you said, hey, I want to follow you, where you made that decision. You know, I want to know, you know, uh, how old were you? What, what, uh, where were you? What was that moment like? And so what I want you to do right now is I want to take a moment. To, I want you guys to meet some of the people at your table. Now, I know some of us won't have an answer to this question. That's fine. And, and I'm glad you're here and I want you to be here. Come again. Um, but some of us have an answer to that question. And, and if we understand the gospel, we're called to talk about it. And the best way to share the gospel is to share how it's affected your life. And so what I want to do real quick and during this table time is I want some of you at your table to share that Wednesday night moment. Remember back to when you were a kid or a teenager or last week when you made that decision to follow God. So again, just meet the people at your table, at least do that. But then I want to challenge you to take the next step further and just share, some of you share that moment you fell in love with God. And then we'll come back together. Do that. I know some of you are excited to see me back up here because you hadn't gone yet, so it's good. <laughs> but let me, oh, it's a big table there. You guys have a lot of people. We continue that after church. Um, I was over there with Chad, uh, and Chad shared his story of uh, when he was in sixth grade at church camp, and then at seventh grade church camp, and eighth grade church camp. So how many people is that same story? Every year I did. Yeah, so, well, cool. Well, you only had to do it once, I promise. All right. Um, if you were at the Ash Wednesday service, I hope you guys uh, took one of those Lent calendars and started the journey with us. If not, 
grab one of those today. It's a neat experience. It's several uh, daily challenges to either withdraw something from your life or, or add to your life something that causes you to more focus on God in this, this season of that we're leading into Easter and the resurrection. Um, I know Thursday was a huge challenge for several of you. It was uh, no texting, and so you had to talk to real people um, Thursday. And so that's a, I'm glad you guys did it. And this week coming up, big challenges this week uh, on restoring some relationships in your life. And so I want to challenge you. If your church doesn't challenge you, it might not be a church. So Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're continuing in our series on prayers for the grove, uh, taking a deeper look at some of the prayers of Paul. Um, and not so much how he prayed, but the who Paul was praying to. Uh, last week, if you were here, Debbie took us through uh, Colossians chapter 1, where Paul prays for strength, strength for the believers. Uh, that we would people who, who bear fruit and we grow in knowledge. Uh, she shared stories of, uh, of this place and her experience here and showed that ultimately God was in control. And so today I want to look at another one of Paul's prayers uh, in the book of Ephesians. And when it comes to the prayers uh, in addressing God, it seems that Paul had this giant picture of who God was, of what he's done, what he could do. Um, but for us in 2013, it seems that, you know, we don't have those same type of prayers, right? Uh, these God of the universe prayers, you know, uh, Paul's prayers seem really big. Our prayers are kind of more karma driven, right? You know, like if we do this, then God will respond that way. Or if we don't do that, then he, he has to deliver us from something, right? Have you ever been there in your car going 70 and 55 going down there and you see that little car in the median there and just a moment too late, right? And you start talking to God, right? God, I will volunteer at church more if you just don't let him pull me over, right? You know, God, I'll do anything you ask. I'll never speed again. Just don't let me get a ticket. God, I've done so much for you. I, I tithe. I serve at church. You owe me this, right? Has anyone ever prayed those prayers? Has anyone ever lied in church before today? <laughs> I was like, one of you, I, I admit, you know, a bunch of sinners. So, all right, well, let's look at Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Let me read it for you. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do it immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You read that, that, that text there and you, you step back and you let it sink in. And you realize that Paul's prayer there is centered on God's love. The fact that his love is so much bigger than we assume as Christians. Because Paul is speaking to believers in the New Testament in this point. People who have already been recipients of God's love. But perhaps these believers in, in, in Ephesus has, have been believers that have taken his love for granted. That have had that been there, done that mentality. Or maybe they've just forgotten and Paul wants us to get past this head knowledge 
That knowing about God, he wants us to understand that this love surpasses knowledge. When you read these kinds of passages or you hear sermons or teaching on God's love for us, there's a common question that comes up. Uh, It's a question that many of you have asked. It's a question that I've asked at times. And here's the question. Why would you love me, God? Why would you die for me? I know myself. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know who I am. So why would you do it? And so we try to inject human wisdom here. We try to reason and use reason to put God into a box. And we want to define God with these earthly measurements. But this idea of surpassing knowledge means that we are to move past reason and into mystery. I believe Paul prays this prayer so that we would understand the point of Paul's message. You see, in chapters 1 and three, through 3 of Ephesians, Paul's dealing with the theology of God, who he is, what he's done, this great and powerful God. And then in Ephesians 4 through 6, he deals with the practical, this, well, what do you do with that love? Paul says, the reason I kneel, it's the mystery that God has by his spirit unveiled to me. This new humanity where Jew and Gentile are together in God's family. You see, biblical history tells us that the Jews uh, were like the original family members, right? They had the birthright. They were the first ones invited to the party. You know, their burgers were 100% beef, right? And the Gentiles come along and they're the ones that showed up late, right? Uninvited, making a bunch of noise, eating bacon cheeseburgers, right? Totally unclean to them. What Paul wants us to see here is this, that now through Jesus Christ, everyone is brought together. One family, one church, Through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, all are redeemed and all are saved. Whether born into this, like the Israelites, or just stumble through the door like the Gentiles, you and I. You have the religious, you have the law, you have the church people, right? And now you have the irreligious with no law, and they're all family now. And you can imagine the tension that this is uh, creating in the New Testament, right? You have the Israelites saying, This is not yours. This is ours. We're God's chosen people. And then you got the Gentiles saying, man, we heard there was a party or something, right? There'd be some food and something about water becoming wine. You know, we're in, right? And and there's these both parties coming together and they both had this heart issue going on. For the Jews, it was this ethnic pride that because we are Jewish and you're not. And for the Gentiles, it was all about God's grace you know, chill out, man. You know, why are you so, so fundamentalist, right? God's grace, God's grace. He, he loves us. Both parties were sinning while eating the Lord's Supper. Jews trying to get the Gentiles to be like them. And the Gentiles saying, we don't care, you know, right? Irreligious people, they don't care. And so we come into our world 2013 and we don't have a Jew and Gentile debate. But we have all kinds of spiritual pride. And the question becomes... Do you and I, do we embrace our brothers and sisters in this church? What about the church down the street? What about the church on the other side of the world? And it brings Paul to his knees. He says, for this reason, I kneel. For this reason, Paul prays this prayer. And Paul makes it very clear that God has to be in the middle of it or it just won't work. So let's go back to verse 14 together. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
He's uniting humanity through faith in Christ. They're united in love for each other. How many of you have ever played a sport or your kids are currently playing a sport right now? Any of you? All right, it's okay. You don't see this very often in kids' sports now, but you guys remember back in the day when they had the last names on the jerseys for the kids, right? You know, parents were so proud, right? That's my kid. That's my boy. Run, you know, run faster, score, hit that kid, right? And what were the kids thinking over there, right? Uh, Oh, it's so embarrassing. That's not my dad. I don't know that lady, right? That's what was happening there. We were embarrassed of our family. But God says, I love all my kids, even though... You and I disown some of our brothers and sisters. Verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The only way to truly reflect beauty and the wisdom of God's plan is if Jesus is in the middle of it and Christ is in our hearts. It's the only way that I'm not going to point fingers at other Christians. It's the only way I'm not going to gossip about other Christians. It's the only way I'm not going to be malicious towards other believers is if I'm filled with God's love for them. As Christ followers, we must reflect the wisdom of God. And God's wisdom is this. The only way the world will know you are my followers is by their love for each other. Human wisdom says this. The world will know that I'm a follower of Christ because I am better at it than you are, you know, right? You know, we don't want to admit it, but it's true. Our human thought says that we must prove to the world that I am a better Christ follower than you. So we look for things. We, we wait for someone to stumble and we pounce on it. And we take shots and we attack and we sit on a throne and we wait to cast judgment on each other. God's wisdom and love is the one thing that will stop you when you want to be cynical or judgmental. God's love is what stops you, uh, makes you bite your tongue when you want to start to gossip about someone. Christ loves the church. And if he's in you, making his home inside of you, then you're going to have to love it too, despite its issues. And by the way, God is aware of the problems. You know, he doesn't need a bunch of uh, church cops, right? Verse 17 says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The only way a family can uh, put aside our differences and embrace each other in joy is by grasping the love of God that he has for every one of his children. Paul says, try this. He says, hey, take a step back and look at all the many reasons why you shouldn't get along with each other. Look at all the many reasons why you shouldn't love each other. They are really small compared to the love God has for you. And the amount of love that God has for you is the same amount of love that he has for the guy sitting at your table. The same amount of love that he has for the guy in the church down the road. Jesus went to the cross to redeem every one of his kids, not just you. Paul wants us to get that and grasp that and know that. He wants us to connect to our lives that makes us alive. The love of Christ is, it's not a human love. It it has no end. It never stops. It never fails. Verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is requiring us to be overflowing with God's love and spirit to embrace the family. Paul says, filled to the measure. 
that it surpasses knowledge and reason. And the reality is that if God wanted to sit down with each one of us and tell us every reason why he shouldn't love us, every reason why he shouldn't embrace us, he could go on for days with just me. But he loves us with this amazing love. And so we sit down and we hear that prayer and we say, well, that's impossible. How, how can that be? By human standards, there is no way I can do that. It would have to take a supernatural work of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The impossibility of this happening is made possible through God's glory being displayed in his family. Paul goes on in chapter 4 to explain how you love. How do you get along with the the body? How do you uh, become humble? Uh, And I ask you to take a minute this week and read the rest of Ephesians. But this here in in Ephesians 3 is is much more than this simple prayer that Paul prays. It's much more than this, hey, God loves you. This is Paul uh, wanting us to come alive and to be filled with that love that God has for you so that you can embrace the family that he loves. So I want to look at two things real quick. The first is, is it working? The answer is no, it's not. Churches don't love each other. We have denominations within denominations, right? How many of you have been here, been a part of a church split? Several of you, I know you have. We divide over every little thing. There are so many reasons why we are better at church than they are. And we use God to justify our reasons for being divided. But is it because of God or is it because of me? Is it because I am so filled with God's love, but it just doesn't work? Or am I trying to pull off the impossible without being filled with God's love and spirit? See, this is not a God problem. This is an us problem. We don't like to plan, right? We don't like to share. We all have this uh, only child syndrome or the baby of the family syndrome, right? This is mine and, and you are a threat to what is mine and I want all the love. And so we would rather point fingers and talk about why we are better than them. The humanity issue is this. In order for us to embrace, we have to exclude. It is impossible to embrace one group of people without excluding some other group. It's the way that human uh, reason thinks. It's what led to genocide, to tribalism. It's what leads to political militism. It's why churches split over pews and chairs, right? It's why people think that our tables are from the devil, you know? It's why we see other believers doing something that we don't do or supporting something that we don't support. And we speak hate. We criticize them. We gossip about them. We believe for us to have integrity for what we embrace, we must exclude. Human wisdom says to embrace, you have to exclude. And the truth is, you can say you have legitimate reasons why I shouldn't embrace the church. Man, I got friends I love and I'm I'm trying to reach these people and the church has made these stereotypes about them and, and, and they made Jesus become this huge obstacle for them. And if they think that I love the church, then they're going to think that I, that I hate them. And so uh, if I love the church, then I can't embrace my friends. But if I tell them that I hate the church, man, that gives me better traction with them, right? They're like, man, that's so cool. You hate the church. Man, we can hate the church together. The only difference is, is you love Jesus and I don't, right? 
human wisdom. I have to exclude this group to embrace the other group. But if Christ is in you, God is capable of loving the entire family, even those who don't know him yet. God has no issue with them. Jesus is able to love both parties. Paul wants us to get God's love and and how big it is that he can love the church and the lost at the same time. Culturally, it's like Jesus wants us to embrace that goofy cousin from Robbinsville or Alarca, right? You know, and, and the truth is, is that you might be that goofy cousin. God loves the entire family. Picture this. Your kids begin uh, fighting. You have some f- people over uh, for dinner and your kids begin fighting. It's your kids, not mine. Mine don't fight. But your kids are fighting. They're throwing things. They're saying hateful words. You know, is this a witness to the world or to these guests that your family loves each other? If God read your Facebook post or sat in some of your conversations, what would he think? Man, these guys get it. They, they understand my love. You think God is sitting watching us fight in the backseat of the car saying, man, we are a family united, right? No. You know, she hit me. He took my toy. They deserve my wrath. God is saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Someone's going to get slapped in the face. You know what I mean? He's reaching back in the back seat, right? He's saying, no, you guys have to love each other. We need to love the entire family. And Jesus stands there with open hands, with wounds from a cross that he bore. The band's going to join me on stage. I want to finish with this last thing, and then I want us to take part of communion together. The whole thing, but we'll take part in the communion. What if I've been the excluded one? What if I bear the wounds to prove it, and it was extremely painful? What if from the church I received rejection or abuse? Maybe I have actual scars. And listen, I would never minimize that. But when injustice occurs, if we just want our rights, then we have every right to accuse and blame and be critical, to be bitter, to be judgmental. We have every right. But if Jesus dwells in you, who was the most unjustly treated His response was the table and it bears the wounds and it forgives. It's very unsatisfying, but it's true. The one who, if demanded justice, we would all be wiped out. There's no promise that if you're part of the family that you won't get your feelings hurt or you won't get wounded, but it's a family that comes back together and forgives and repents and loves each other. So some of you might be saying, well, they'll never repent. But that doesn't mean that you don't forgive because Christ did while we were yet sinners and he loves you and he loves them. So this is more than a devotional prayer. It's deeper. It's how we relate to each other, who you and I are and how we are related. We shouldn't be critical of other churches We shouldn't be critical of each other. When you hear someone gossiping or slandering or going after somebody, you should back them off a little bit. How does the love of Christ respond to that person? I know how we're going to respond. We're going to exclude so that we can embrace each other. But how does the love of Christ respond? How do we respond when we were talked about as a church? How do you respond? Do we embrace or do we disown each other? 
Do we deny that we're even a part of this place? I just go there. I don't believe what they say. I don't believe what they do. The truth is, in our effort to be a missional church and to reach this culture, we've probably stiff-armed the bride of Christ in this town. See, on my own, I am unable to love both. But God can. So I need him inside of me. This morning, I'm inviting you to this table. That's the table that Christ himself invites you to. I'm inviting you today to lay down criticism and judgmentalism towards people we know in this church and in the church at large. To bring our wounds to the wounded one. And to ask for the power of forgiveness. It's our time to kneel for this reason. Paul prays that we would become alive in God's love so that we'd be united in love for each other. So my prayer is that God would fill us with Christ, that we would grasp his love because he can do it. Join me in prayer. God, thank you for your love. This amazing love that it surpasses knowledge. It moves from reason into mystery. God, how you shed your blood, how your body was broken for us on that cross that reconciles us back to you. That cross that was for me and for the guy next to me and for the guy down the road. So God, today we we want your love to fill us so that we can embrace each other. That we are able to forgive and move past things. To able to accept one another and be a part of community with one another as we pursue you and what you've called us to in this place. So God, today as we take part in worship and in communion, may we recognize what you've done for us in this cross and what it means for us that we are now called to love as you love. So God, Give us understanding. Open our ears and our hearts to grasp and understand you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The band's going to begin playing a song. I want to go ahead and invite you to stand. And at your time that you feel um, you want to, there's a communion table up front and there's one in the back. Feel free to take part of that. But let's worship together.